Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome, Second Service crowd. It's great to see everyone out joining us live on campus here in Toms River. Hello to all of you joining us online. If you don't know me, my name's James Wheeler. I'm the worship pastor and one of the teaching pastors here. That's my wife giving me the big applause. Thank you. <laughs> Love you guys. Hey, last week we had an awesome time celebrating the birthday of this church and the vision. Pastor Jim gave us a, an encouraging uh, great word on the purpose of church. And so this Sunday, we're back into our uh, Wisdom for Living series. We're about to land the plane. This is the second to the last uh, teaching. And today, the heart of the message is going to be on diligence, but uh, a couple specific things God's word encourages us with along those lines. Are you ready to receive the word of God right now? Let's go to the Word, turn in your Bibles or your phones, or you can look at the lower thirds on the screen for these scriptures. We're going to hit First, uh, Second Peter chapter 1, 5 through 7, where he encourages us with this, for this very reason, applying your diligence to the divine promises, make every effort in exercising your faith to develop moral excellence, and in moral excellence, knowledge, insight, and understanding, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, steadfastness, and in your steadfastness, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly affection, and in your brotherly affection, develop Christian love. That is, learn to unselfishly seek the best for others and to do things for their benefit. Wow, what a power-packed verse where he says, hey, you've got to be diligent to do these things. Part of your Christian walk that is really summed in loving your neighbor as Christ loved you is something you have to be diligent to. We can look over to Paul's letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.15, and I think it's a good summary of everything that Peter has just spoken to us. And he said, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. As I share some of these scriptures and I get to my main point, some of these things are going to start bubbling up to the top that are important today about our words and about our work. And so how do you know from this passage, how do you know if you're studying the word of God according to his exhortation there, is if you're accurately handling the Word of God. Not just that you're studying or that you're reading it or you know a few verses, but if you're rightly dividing the Word of Truth, one translation says, did you know that strange doctrine, we get off base when we take just a part of Scripture. And so you're not studying to show yourself approved unto God if you're just taking a few verses out of context. So just like it is a mandate on us to make sure we're studying the Word of God, that we're being diligent to do this, it applies to every area of our lives. Our founder famously said many times, show me, don't snow me. Amen. Show me, don't snow me. You know, from this verse to me that what stands out is what you study shows. I could talk with you a little while and know what your mind is on, what your what your focus is on, what has shaped you, what has formed you, what you diligently set your hand to is going to grow. Diligence equals 
growth, both good and bad, and what you do diligently in private when no one's looking eventually will be made known in public, both bad and good. When I was young, I learned that diligence pays off. Uh, I learned to play an instrument. I played trombone. I still play trombone. And I don't know, uh, I just did what they told me to do. And you know what they told me to do? Practice every day. Be diligent. And maybe some of the other kids practiced. I don't know. I know God gave me some talent. I don't think I have the most talent. I think I have some. And I added to that blessing, that gift of talent, diligence. And so I ended up being first chair. First chair in the ensembles. I, I grew to be first chair in all state. And do you know after a while it became not fun to practice? You know, after a while there were other things that I could do. And I just kept being diligent. And for me, maybe some of you can relate to me. I can't do 25 things well. I can't spread myself thin. But when I do find a passionate area, it's like, okay, I'm going to set my hand to that and I'm going to focus on that. I'm going to be diligent to that. The other thing I learned over time was that I'm a slow learner in certain areas. I just, I just can't get it a certain way. Maybe I need a bunch of different people to explain it to me or teachers. And so that forced me, if I want to grow in an area, if I want to excel, I need to be very diligent, diligent to add this step to this step to, the, to that next step. And so that's my story. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what you have found that you've set your hand to diligently and you've seen fruit of that. You've seen uh, success from that. But there's something for you both good and bad. Maybe some diligence to some bad habits has produced a harvest in your life and you want to undo that. You want to get away from that. Parents, do you know that your children are going to be healthy and stable and fruitful and blessed if you are diligent to discipline them? If you're diligent in consistently applying the word of God. And it can't be just, well, one day, one day we're going to be disciplinarians and the next day it's uh, ice cream and sprinkles and, and go to the amusement park and just all constraints. Doesn't work, does it? You know what that turns out. Married couples, your spouse, we have to be diligent to love one another. You need to learn your spouse's love language because odds are their love language isn't yours and you need to learn to speak their language. It takes diligence. It takes some conflict. It takes some ouches. Oops, I didn't do that very well. I'm sorry I failed you. How can I do better? Let's talk about it. Let's be diligent to grow our relationship so that God will bless our marriage. Some of y'all, look, I know, I know it took diligence to get that spare tire, diligence to Dunkin' Donuts. That's a consistent, faithful effort, right? Amen? Come on now. I'm not looking in any particular area. I, I, know, I know of which I speak. I've been there. But even our bad habits, they will reap some kind of benefit. Did you know Satan doesn't cause all your problems? It's probably just an inconsistent bedtime routine. Do you know if you're diligent just to go to bed at, at a certain time and get enough sleep and get up? You'd be amazed how many problems that you've been causing yourself by just staying up all night and worrying diligence in every area of our life. So there was this guy uh, who had a son and they had a pet and he wanted his son to take care of the dog. And he said, listen, son, you need to clean up after the dog. You need to take care of the dog do. He said, it's your due diligence. 
Oh, yeah. You like that one, uh-huh. Okay, it's your due diligence. Can he say do in the pulpit? I guess I just did. There was another man for, for the past 20 years, uh, his wife has been complaining to him. Like, why don't you put the cap back on the toothpaste? That's so annoying. That's the most annoying thing. So finally, upon his last anniversary, he said, you know what? I'm going to work on this. I'm going to be diligent to cap that toothpaste every time. So he, he was very consistent to that. He, he did it over several weeks. And he was thinking, yeah, she's going to give me an attaboy. Like, thank you so much. Good job. You're putting that cap back on the toothpaste. And you know what? She never said anything. Finally, months later, they're going to bed and she rolls over and says, hey, why'd you stop brushing your teeth? <laughs> Praise God. Marriage is complicated, isn't it? <laughs> well, the Lord has so much to say to us throughout the entirety of God's word about diligence, but particularly in the wisdom literature, the scrolls, the Psalms, and the Proverbs, and those, those poetic uh, passages that the Holy Spirit wants to teach to, uh, to us some things. And you know, Proverbs is basically an entire instruction book to teach the fool out of you and I to get the foolish ways from us. And it's really all about diligence. And so the difference between someone who applies diligence to become a great athlete or run a successful business or, or whatever the case is for them, the difference between someone who, who, who doesn't know the Lord and us is who gets the glory from that. And who are we sacrificing our lives diligently for? And for us, for believers, if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't confessed him and are following him, we want to make sure you have an opportunity to do that at the end of service today. But for most of us here, for those of you watching or listening, this diligence isn't just so that we can get bigger muscles or, or have, have, a, have a nest egg for our retirement. It's for the glory of the Lord. Everything is for the glory of the Lord. And so I can have an inheritance for my children's children, but do you know what? If I don't have a godly legacy for them, if they don't have an eternity to experience with Jesus, it's all for nothing. And so earthly wisdom, diligence, according to the world, will get you nowhere, and it does no good in hell. So let's look at a definition of diligence here. It's very simple. I picked a very simple one. It just means this, careful, persistent work or effort. So there's a focus, right? Living on purpose, that's our theme this year. There's careful, persistent work or effort. It's something you're giving attention to and you're doing over and over again. I like this quote. Did you know that you and I, we don't decide our future? We decide our habits, our daily choices, and those decide our future. So diligence determines your future. Whatever you're diligent to, you will experience in the future. Proverbs 25, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance and advantage. But everyone who acts in haste comes surely to poverty. Let's just hear what the word says. Let's just hear what the wisdom of Proverbs has to say for us today. Proverbs 10:4. For he, poor is he who works with a negligent and idle hand, but the hand of the diligent makes him rich. 
Proverbs 12, 14, a man will be established with good from the fruit of his words and the deeds of a man's hands will return to him as a harvest. That's your words and your work. We're going to talk about that in a second. Proverbs 14, 23, in all labor, there's profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. There's your work and there's your words. Ecclesiastes 9:10. whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. You could say, do it diligently, be consistent. 2 Corinthians 8:11. so now finish this so that your eagerness in desiring it may be equaled by your completion of it according to your ability. Paul's saying, hey, it's great that you started, but you know what's even greater? Is that you finish. And you need a diligent plan to take steps to move towards the finish line of whatever it is you are doing, whatever it is the Lord has called you to do. So today we're going to focus, and I want to challenge you, and I think the Word of God is going to challenge us to be diligent in a couple areas, two areas, and it's going to come out to be a third area. So the first one is diligence in our words. Can everyone say, my words? And diligence, secondly, in my work, everyone say, my work. And then would we apply diligence to our words and to our work? I believe that is an act of worship to the Lord. So we're going to talk about diligence in our worship. Can you say, my worship? And why do I make you say my? Because you own it now. It's not your cousin Eddie's issue. It's not your friend. It's not the neighbor in the seat next to you, this is, Lord, I'm, I want to know how you want me to handle my words. I want you to, I want to know how you want me to handle my work. And I want to ask you this question, is it a pleasing sacrifice of worship to the Lord? So if you turn in your bulletins, there's a sermon notes page. A lot of times we have fill in the blanks there. Sometimes we have a statement. Today it's a statement and it's something I want you to put on your fridge, your mirror, in your Bible, somewhere where you can be held accountable to this question. How many of you know good questions produce good answers? Good questions will challenge us to see. Let's evaluate where we're at. And it's this. This is the big sticky statement. Do my words and my work worship the Lord? Do my words and my work worship the Lord? And we're going to look at a passage in Psalm here where the psalmist King David very wisely under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit has given us as, as the holy, infallible word of God along this issue. And I'm going to read a scripture and comment, read a scripture and comment. So stay with me here. So Psalm 15, starting in verse 1. Lord, he asks the question, who may reside in your tent? Who may settle on your holy hill? So here's the question. This is a picture. This is, this is biblical picture language of the presence of God, the temple of God, uh, the tabernacle of God. When he tabernacles among us, that's the, that's the tent. That's the kingdom of God. So how, Lord, can I be pleasing in worship to you? How can I experience the fullness of your kingdom? Or how can the kingdom of God move through me as a mere mortal, as a person, as someone with just flesh and bones in the earth. How do I rightly do this? 
And so it's a picture of the kingdom. In other words, how do I live to the praise of your glory? How does my life offer a sweet fragrance of worship so that it's pleasing to you, God? Verse 2, one who walks with integrity and practices righteousness. How did I become a good trombone player? I practice. How do you walk rightly before the Lord? You practice. So this is our work. This is our work ethic in with integrity, doing what's right. We do right and we trust God. We do right and we trust God. That's integrity, that's our work ethic. We set our hand to it. Uh, Reading on here, and speaks truth, there's your words, speaks truth in his heart, or we could say from our heart we speak truth. We do not slander with our tongue, we do not lie. There's no incongruity, no lack of integrity in our speech. In our confession, in our conversation, our words line up with the word of God. Reading on, nor do evil to his neighbor, nor bring shame on his friend. When our words are meaningless, when our work ethic is no good, when we're lazy, it is evil to your neighbor. It's evil to your community. It's a terrible witness to the Lord. It's a shameful thing, the psalmist says here. It's our character. Our character as believers is on the line. And integrity just means wholeness, completely, completely aligned with truth, okay? Are you still with me today? Verse 4, the Bible says a despicable person is despised. That's a double, double despising there. But he honors those who fear the Lord. And this is the opposite of being despised in the eyes of the Lord. He takes an oath to his own detriment and does not change. Have you ever heard the phrase, swears to his own hurt? Have you heard that? It's when you, oops, I said something, I made a promise, I didn't think I could deliver on, I bid a job too low, guess what? You're going to eat it now. You're going to do the job and take a loss if your word is your bond, if you're a person of your word. And so... How can we, I got a good amener over there somewhere. Thank you very much. Praise God. Even the children bear witness, right? That this is the word of God. So keeping our word, even when it's, when it's uh, um, a cost, sometimes it's just our pride we don't want to give up. We just don't want to admit it. You know what? I, I said I would do that, and I'm sorry. I'll, I'll do that. Uh, verse 5, he does not lend his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. One who does these things will never be shaken. Those, those last two there. I mean, imagine King David, all that he went through under, under Saul, who was once anointed and then just became this evil, duplicitous, man, manipulative, maniacal. And, and all the corruption that he must have witnessed in the high places in the kingdom. But this is talking to the people of Israel and it's talking to us as the church. Corruption shouldn't be... In our midst, bribery, using money to get our way, uh, loaning money at interest. How many of you know nothing you have is yours? How many of you know God gave it to you? Freely you have received, so freely you must give. It's not saying don't ask for it back, but he, he, he drives the point home. You don't, you don't charge exorbitant interest for someone that you're supposed to be trying to help out and be a blessing to. Amen. So this is common sense, but it all ties to this this topic we're talking about. All together then, this this passage forms this picture of how our behavior, our conduct in the kingdom, I love that phrase, needs diligence. 
We need to diligently apply to our word and our work so that our worship will be credible, so that our worship will be authentic and acceptable to the Lord. We need to see that the stewardship of our life is a diligence issue. We're going to be held account for how we handle our life. Our diligence to living a life that reflects the principles of God's word will result in the entrance into the presence of God as an act of worship. This is challenging some of you, but I think the light bulbs are going off. You mean when I work with integrity, when I, when I don't steal from my boss, when I, when I have a good work ethic, God receives that as worship? Absolutely. It's another way that we worship God. It's a sweet-smelling fragrance, and you know it's a testimony to someone who doesn't know the Lord. It's worship. It's worship. So let's look at our word or our words, and we want to watch our words. We want to steward our words. You're, however many you say a day, some say more, some say less, but that's the amount that you have, and we need to, we need to carefully, if we could throw them all out on the table and look at them, what are we saying? And how are we accountable to that? Matthew 12, 36, Jesus says, But I tell you that for every careless word that people speak, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. I don't think we should be afraid of when Scripture challenges us with something so strong we should say okay lord i take that challenge i want to evaluate it lately i've been learning a lot about just by studying different sources about how our character and our personality is shaped through our lives and how the things that we say the words that we say are developed over time there's nature and there's nurture but many of us the way that we express our words, the negative ones especially, do you know they're just a defense shield in response to childhood trauma? Something we experienced that was negative. And listen, trauma's trauma. Even if you just perceived it and maybe it wasn't that big a deal, your body doesn't know the difference. Your soul struggles to know the difference. And if you're not renewed in the word of God, it receives it as truth for you. So then you have these words now, and they're a defense shield, and they're response uh, to wounds from the past. And if those things are unrecognized, we just don't recognize it, or they're unhealed, or they go unchecked, then listen, our vocabulary, what we say, speaks against our wholeness in Christ. It literally combats and counteracts what Jesus did for us. Ladies, if you haven't looked into the revealed uh, classes, please look them up because they deal with a lot of that, correct? And I was talking to someone after first service. And Pastor Tom, I don't know if we have anything for guys that deals with the same thing, but man, it'd be great. Come and believe in God for that, right? So what happens is then our wounds that we have become weapons. 
Instead of having healthy communication, God-honoring communication, it's a constant battle. And when we're wounded, we wound other people. You know, hurt people, hurt people. But you know, if the Lord can heal you of something, then you have a scar. It's okay to have a scar. But then you can say, look what Jesus did for me. I am whole in Christ. And, I, and, and can I just minister this to you out of this? But the opposite is so often we're, we're bloody, we're still wounded, and then we just communicate in such a way that just tears down and destroys. And honestly, we're blind to it. Some of us know better, but you know, even over time, your heart grows hard, you just get bitter to it, and say, oh, that's just the way I am. But God. But God. So God, in the beginning, spoke, and things were, and so he speaks, and he created you to speak, and God's word never goes back to him void, and your words aren't going to go back to you void either. Because out of the abundance you speak, and so what you believe in your heart, you say, and what you say, you believe, and it's a repeated cycle. And so do you want to repeat and experience more damage? Do you want to release more unhealthiness? Or do you want to experience life and wholeness? And so if you think about, if we think about, if I think about my words as missionaries. What mission are my words on today? Are, are the mission of my words to edify and build and to speak life, to encourage, to release love? Or are my words, their missionary, are they sent to, to kill and destroy, to partner with the enemy, to defend through my insecurities, to self-justify my lifestyle, my behavior, even to passively, aggressively control my environment, my friend circles, my family, because I'm fearful. You know, fear controls, but when you let go and let God, you don't have to control. You don't have to win. You don't have to win every argument. Jesus won for you. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. You know, here's something that set my heart at ease a long time ago. I still struggle with this, but a, a pastor of ours used to say, God keeps the books. Can you let him keep the books? And you don't keep the books. You don't need to make wrong things right. You don't need to fix it. You need to just, just trust God. And we need to work on ourselves. Proverbs 15, 23, a person has joy and an apt answer. And how delightful is a timely word. How many have just been refreshed when someone just finally said that thing that just ministered to your heart, gave you encouragement? Maybe they understood you like no one else did. And they're like, hey, I get you. You know, we're on the same page here. I feel the same way. And I want to encourage you with this. Or you were down and they just spoke life to you. Or they recognized something no one else did. Our words are powerful. And you can never be too encouraging. Amen. Err on the side of encouragement. And I struggle with this, and, and when I talk to people, you know, we think about ourselves a lot. You know, people aren't thinking about you that much. But if you'll just learn to always go into the conversation and thinking about the other person. What can I do to speak life? What can I do to encourage? What can I do to, to build up here? Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but if there is any good word for edification according to the need of the moment, Say that so that it will give grace to those who hear. 
I'm an evaluator, I'm a critical thinker, and I like to help find things that can help people. But don't lead with that. Like there might be a pile of, you know, your dress is wrinkled and your breath smells and have you done this? <laughs> don't lead with that. You know, maybe later on and you're in a good relationship with them, you can address things you see as glaringly wrong. First, what's good? So you have this pile of words and a lot of them are evaluative and critical, but you need to find, how can I find the gold in a person? How can I find the treasure? How can, just say something. You think it's a weird dress? Say, hey, that's a colorful dress. Don't think you just said, that's a beautiful dress. I didn't say, you know, it looked good on you. You know what I'm saying? This takes diligence. Work on your words. Listen to what you're saying so that you're encouraging to people. We all need to work on it. We have to be diligent to watch our words, to monitor them and keep them in check. And I think when you lay your head on the pillow at night, you need to ask God, Lord, let me think about what I said. Oh, forgive me for that, Lord. Please forgive me. Help me tomorrow. Help me set a guard over my mouth. Let's look at keeping our word or, or honoring our word. I'm going to repeat the verse 4 of the psalm we read. A despicable person is despised in his eyes, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He takes an oath to his own detriment and does not change. And then Matthew 5, 37, Jesus really affirms this in a very direct way. And he says, but make sure your statement is yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil origin. Look, it's easy for us to slip over into maybe good intentions or even in, in the words of affirmation, we begin to, to give our word. And if we can't follow through with that, it's inconsistent. Our goal is to not live that way, to make sure that everything you say, say what you mean and mean what you say, amen? Make sure you're true, that's integrity. God is true to his word. And so if we start talking to our kids and, and make them think something and make promises we can't keep, you're, you're teaching them that they can't trust you, you're not as good as your word, and you're teaching them that so neither is God. God's word must not be true because... My parents' word isn't true. Do you know you're representing Christ to them until they can form that faith on their own? It's important. It's important. Proverbs 26, 18, 19, like a maniac who shoots flaming arrows, arrows and death, so is a person who deceives his neighbor and says, was I not joking? Oh, just kidding. Just kidding on the square. Just having fun. Hey, be careful with that. Amen. Be careful with that because everything you're saying has weight and, and are, is what you're saying really true? And is there integrity in that? So enough about that. Let's move on to the work side of things here. Are you still with me? Amen. Excellent. Work. Proverbs 21.5. The plans of the diligent certainly lead to advantage, but everyone who is in a hurry certainly comes to poverty. Proverbs 13, 4, the soul of the lazy one craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made prosperous. Praise God. 2 Timothy 2, 15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Did you know there's no participation trophies in heaven? 
in eternity. There's going to be rewards. Did you know that? So there's things that we do on earth as believers once we accept the Lord Jesus, the free gift of salvation that you do not need to earn, you do not need to work for. But after that, there's work to be done. As soon as you get born again, Jesus says, all right, let's get to work. Let's work together. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15, Paul writes this very, uh, very sobering, very challenging passage for us to reflect on today. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation of Jesus Christ with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each one's, look at that word there, each one's what? Work. Work. We're talking about your work, not just your job, but as you work to build the kingdom. If anyone's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet is only through fire. My life goal is to make sure wood, hay, and stubble isn't a part of my building process. That the foundation, the rock-solid foundation of Jesus Christ is all of my life. And it does tie to my occupation. It does tie to my ministry. It does tie to my relationships. It ties to my witnessing. It ties to evangelism. Amen? It, it, It ties to my volunteerism. So you can't escape that your life really is a stewardship of diligence. And it is the work of the Lord that he has called you to. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be firm, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Discipline is not fun, right? Diligence isn't easy, but it's sacrificial. You could say, doing something you don't want to do. And it's a fragrance to the Lord and it's a fragrance to others. Let's look at what it says here in Romans 12 about that. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service or act or work of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove over time through discipline, right? Prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Diligence, dedication to the word of God, to the principles of God. Ephesians 1:12 to the end, what To the end, what is the purpose of our existence? That we who were the first to hope in the Christ would be to the praise of his glory. It's worship. 2 Corinthians 2.15, for we, that's you, that's me, that's the body of Christ in the earth today, his bride. We are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved, to the believers, and to those who are perishing. Diligence is daily. Diligence is for life. We can never stop being diligent. Say, Pastor, how are we going to do this? And are you talking about works now? We're not supposed to be works-minded. Well, the good news is we can't do it. 
will never be perfect. We're not really worthy of his presence and we can't actually live up to everything that we just read from Psalm 15. But there's one who did. His name is Jesus. And he was the perfect one. And he was true to his word. And his words were perfect every time. And he was a hard worker. We know he was probably a carpenter. Some scholars say probably more. He worked with stone or masonry than wood. Um, and we know the work of his ministry is unprecedented, second to none. And so because of him, he gave his life. He paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. And he says, you know what? Let's work together. We can do this together. If you confess your sins, if you accept me, if you follow me, we can partner in this. And we can walk in this truth from Philippians 2, 12 and verse 13. So then, my beloved, just have you, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. What's that word, church? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, with worship and reverence for the Lord. For it is God who is at work in you, both to desire and to work for his good pleasure. Thank you, Lord that you have come to take up residence in me. And as I set my hand to the plow, as I work hard, as I'm diligent to apply the principles, as I'm diligent to weigh my words, to honor my word, to have work ethic, to, to walk in integrity, you're right there with me, helping me. You want me to win. You're willing me to win. You're even helping me. You're giving me an unfair advantage to live this life. And what is the outgoing work of an inward work that's been completed? It's called sanctification, and it never ends. It's a continual purging of our old self. It's a renewal of our soul, of our mind. It's, it's constantly being more and more set apart by God for God. You know, holiness isn't how long my skirt is or how I dress. It's I'm set apart for God. I'm set apart for his purposes. And I don't want to go away from him on my walk with the Lord. I want to continue to take that next step. I'm leaving the world behind more and more and more. I'm stepping into you, Lord. I'm stepping into the things of God. I'm constantly being challenged. My words and my work and my life of worship. So I just want to encourage you today. I want to challenge you. I know you can do it. I know we can do it together. Take seriously, if you look at the sermon notes, the very bottom, there's some next steps. Salvation is the first step. We want to pray with you here after service to receive salvation. Maybe, maybe you need a close confidant to just help you. You know, just, can you just tell me if what I'm saying is unwholesome and unhealthy? And don't just ask everyone to be your fruit inspector. That's going to end poorly. But someone close. Uh, do that. Maybe you realized, hey, I said some things and I didn't follow through. Maybe you just need to repent of that and just make good on it. That might be a, a breakthrough thing for you. And then I shared first service, I'll share with you all. There's a few things we've done in our household to just kind of do an audit of our vocabulary. And, and as cool as it is to say something, when something amazing happens, to say like, that's, I can't believe that. We've just stricken it because we don't want to say we can't believe. We don't ever want to 
say anything that's not in faith. Do you know what the word incredible means? It means not to be believed. And so if you can't believe that that chocolate cake was awesome, how are you going to believe that Jesus, who you've never seen before, died for your sins? How are you going to believe that he wants to do supernatural? Come on. And so that's a decision we made. That might be something you decide. I remember when Allegra was really tiny and early enough just to even walk out on the front porch and I would go to work every day. And one of the changes we made, you know, is that we would never say goodbye because that's permanent. See you later means I'm coming back. I'm coming home from work. So that the heart of faith and alignment with God's word is going to reap harvest. You might think that's very Uh, semantic and very small but every word counts and they all add up and after a while when you discipline your mouth to say only what is true what is right you'll experience the blessing of God in your life in your life so look at some of those next steps I want to encourage you to stay connected to the church to to get plugged into a growth group because where does any of this happen in real life in the accountability of those who God has called alongside you to be in a relationship, to serve. So thank you, Lord, for this word. Did you get anything out of that today? If you are new for the first, second, third time, fourth time, maybe you haven't quite been brave enough to come say hello. We have a welcome room back over there in the, in the back, and we'd love to say hello and tell you a little bit more about our church. If you need prayer for any reason, something God spoke to you, something you're challenged by, come down. We have prayer workers. One of the pastors or I will pray with you to receive Christ, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. If you haven't done that, take that step today. And um, happy birthday, Jane Chung. She's one of our amazing prayer prophetic people. So we thank God for you. Thank God you were born and many, many, many more blessed years on planet Earth with us. All right, so let me pray and I'll release you. Father God, thank you so much for your word that's true. It's forever settled in heaven. And oh Lord, help us. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We fail every day. We say things we shouldn't have, we didn't mean. So, Lord, help us in that area. Help us to be true, to walk in integrity. Lord, help us to know that we're working for you, God, and you're you're watching us, and so are our neighbors, and that we want to live a life that's pleasing and a sacrificial act of worship to you. Where there is need, we're crying out for your help today. Where we are unable, where we can't even, we struggle to believe that we can do these things. We say, help our unbelief. Come alongside, undergird, empowered by your spirit. We thank you for this beautiful church and all the people who call Grace of Peace home and for the wonderful things that you're going to do in the days and the weeks and the months ahead. Jesus, we know you're coming soon. These are the last days, Lord. Find us faithful to these things. Find us worshiping you and living to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You're released. Have a great day.